and a big welcome to all listening to this special edition of the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Liv Griffiths and this week I'm joined by Emily Lyles to review the 2020-2021 season and all the latest news in the women's game. Emily, good to have you on board for this one. I've just about caught my breath with the wrap-up of this season. Let's sum it up. It's been pretty incredible, hasn't it? It has, Liv, and and. You know, it's one of those seasons where it was so competitive throughout and so compelling. The fact it's come to an end is actually quite sad. I know the players are probably feeling the complete opposite. It's been a long old season. It's been a strange season, hasn't it, with so much more to think about than normal. But yeah, to say that, you know, we haven't really been able to have crowds in, it hasn't been the same. What the teams across the league or across all the leagues, to be fair, have produced has been really, really exciting. Yeah, it's been twists and turns in this campaign. We've seen Everton in the top four at the beginning of the season tail off. We've seen Redden at a standstill in mid-table. Unfortunately, Bristol finally run their luck up with their relegation. But all in all, lots of positives to take away in the women's game for next season, do you think? A hundred percent. And I think like, you know, there's a lot made about the disparities in the league, isn't there, between the sort of top three, top four and the rest of the league. And I think, yes, that's still been very, very evident. But the fact that you were going into the final final weeks, final games, things weren't decided, particularly the relegation battle, you know, it, it was extremely engaging for people. And I think all in all, you only have to look back at the way the league was structured and the competition just a few years ago. And I mean, look, I know you followed it really closely as well, Liv, but I think it's probably fair to say that it's just growing year on year and season on season. And, you know, you watch a game and, you know, often you think, wow, that was just utter quality for 90 minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But all seasons have to come to an end. Um, But before it does, Emily, You and I, we've got a special task today, haven't we? So we're going to be awarding some players with uh, these following individual titles. So hope you've got your list compiled. No copy of me, please. So we've got, (laughs) we're going to go for uh, our first one. So who has been your player of the season, Emily? Oh, I know this is a real obvious choice, Liv, but I've gone for Fran Kirby. Um, I think, yes. Exactly, exactly. Complete, you know, an obvious choice, you know, not exactly (laughs) a surprise to anybody. But I think, okay, she's delivered week in, week out. She's performed at the highest level. She's a very special player, which everyone knows about. She's developed this incredible partnership with Sam Kerr. But actually, I think when you look at the adversity that she's overcome to then deliver on that level, that's probably why she's been chosen. Um, Because, you know, she had such a long period out of the game. She overcame illness. And yeah, she's just outstanding. And I think the other thing is with Fran, it's also, it's not just her ability in terms of her football, but it's also, I feel like, the way she conducts herself. Like there's never, you know, she's always happy to do the extra in terms of what you need to do to be a professional. She's brilliant with the media. She's just an all-round good egg, really. And, and I think, yeah, just the way she's performed and, and how she's done, you know, she deserves a lot of credit, really. And I know that's something that Emma Hayes has also echoed. How about yourself then, Liv? Oh, I mean, I would say you're copying me, but she <laughs> has been probably a lot of, I think she's won the players, writers, whatever they sort of have as well, that award. No doubt she's Chelsea's player of the season. I think she was awarded it um, 
against, well, she sat out the FA Cup game against uh, Everton, but she was there to collect her award. So she was my choice as well. Um, I kind of have to echo what you said. The term professional, I just think of someone like Fran Kirby straight away. She's proven in this league time and time again. And even with these setbacks, with injuries, with illnesses, she climbs and she, you know, we talk about her partnership with Sam Kerr. This is the first proper season they've had together. How incredible to watch that partnership. It's just on another level. So she she is obvious, but sometimes that's when you need to decide who the best player is of the season. Um, we don't really have special like second prize and cons- consolation prizes, but my second and maybe if we added on young player of the season, I would have in any other sort of season, it would have been someone like Clary Kelly, who 10 goals and 11 assists. That's a goal assist per game. And she she was new, wasn't she? She moved from Everton in the summer. This is like a full, full first season with a new team. So it's a shame Fran just did too well this season because in any other season, she, she would have been up there, wouldn't she? Well, she was also on my list. I've written down here, Chloe Kelly also in contention. You've got my notes, Emily. You've got my notes. <laughs> Again, for the reasons that you cite, though, because that was a massive move, wasn't it, at the start of the season? That comes with a huge amount of pressure for someone so young. And I think... You only had to look at the games where City struggled. She was probably one of the players that came off and people said, you know what, she didn't deserve to lose today or she created things and the chances just weren't converted. And she worked, you know, she worked hard. She came off with a lot of credit. And yeah, she's an extremely talented player. And, you know, you just hope that she can recover from this this serious injury that she's got at the moment and, you know, continue where she left off. And, you know, we obviously wish her all the best with that because... You know, she no one deserves injury, do they? But certainly she didn't deserve that at the time it fell for her either. Two fantastic players this season. Um, so we'll give Fran player of the season and we'll give Chloe a young player of the season. OK, Emily, um, manager of the season. You see, I found this one quite tricky, actually, because I think, again, the one that most people would go for would be Emma Hayes, because look how her team have performed across the board. But I've actually gone for Casey Stoney. Um, I think she's she did an exceptional job at Man United overall, you know, from start to finish, really. But also, I think you can't underestimate the magnitude and the expectation that goes around managing a club like that. I appreciate it's a reasonably new women's outfit. And, you know, there are elements that are separate to men's, as there are at all clubs, but actually... It's a huge global entity. Look at the players that they've signed. Look at the eyes that are always on that football club. And for them to perform the way they did, I know they didn't quite finish as highly as they would have wanted to, but I don't think that can be underestimated. Um, Her ability to manage that squad, lots of big personalities combined with young players, not afraid to make big calls, leave players out. Um, For a manager that's at such an early stage of her career, I think she just deserves a huge amount of credit. And, you know, I think... Most people are tipping her to, to carry on whatever happens for her in the future. She's she's just done an exceptional job. Mm, she really did, didn't she? she it's did. such a shame that they're losing her. But, I mean, where does she go from now? We talked about it last last week on the pod, sort of where Casey's next career should be. But where, where, where could you see her, Emily? I think, again, so obviously not for the moment. And I don't think she would see it as that at the moment because she's clearly got another job or another couple of jobs in her before that but I think eventually it you could see her being the Lioness's manager couldn't you? you could see that everything that she's doing at the moment seems to be building towards that 
and you know her pedigree within England, her reputation and her own career lends itself to that. There's a lot of talk about the States, isn't there, and her going over there, and I could see that. Um, I know she's got a young family, so I guess there could be a sense of uprooting them, but I guess they, she might, or they, you know, her family might say that they're at an age to do that perhaps now before you know, starting school, et cetera. But it's, it's really, really tough because then if you think aside from, from the US, where else would she go? Certainly, I, I don't know, could she go somewhere in Europe? I'm not really sure. What do you think? I'm surprised Arsenal didn't want to try and bring her in, to be honest. I think with, with Joe now departing, their style of play, they've got, you know, they won the title a couple of years ago, so they're proven winners. So I am surprised, but I think you touched on it. She's got a young family and I think... Oh, just the same as all of us that work in media and you know Casey's probably had to do twice as much three times as much work like she probably just wants a break and you can't begrudge her for wanting to do that so yeah it'll be very interesting to see where she goes next no it certainly will be and how about your own selection for manager of the season well similar to you I had a really tough choice in picking between two managers Casey was definitely commendable but didn't quite make my top two um Carla Ward I thought did fantastic at Birmingham I just think the fact that she came in she barely had 11 players uh there were so many issues on and off the field to survive and their sort of WSL sort of title and um, not title but sort of status in staying there is incredible but I had to go for Emma Hayes I mean she took Chelsea to a Champions League final it's the first time that they've done it and you know they won the league by just losing that one game to Brighton. And I, I, um, Luke actually asked me to go to the game, the last game of the season against Reading. And when she spoke post match, they just won 5 0 and it still wasn't good enough for her. And that just tells you everything that you want to know about Emma Hayes as a person, how she works, how she wants this team to sort of play for her, play for the honours, play for the badges. And you know, it's simple. She wins titles. She won another one. So I'm going to go with Emma Hayes for my award for that one. So Emma and Casey, good choices. Okay. This is an interesting one now, Emily. What has been your standout moment of the season? I think this is something that is quite personal to me. So this is probably why I've chosen this because look, we've spoken all season about the relegation battle, the clubs that were in and around it. And obviously Villa are one of those that have been. Um, so I think for me, the fact that they were able to retain their status in their first ever, ever season at that level was massive. Obviously, they did it with a really big result at Arsenal as well, a real dogged effort. You know, they worked hard for the team. They managed to secure that, appreciate other things had to happen as well. But they, I think they probably just about deserved it too. You know, there were performances. There were many games that I watched over the season that you thought, they were so close to getting a draw that they lost or a win and they drew that they've got a good foundation there. And, you know, again, not comparing Aston Villa women to Man United women, but, you know, coming up, it's a big, big challenge. They then had obviously multiple changes from a management, more structured point of view throughout the season, which some may say benefited them, but equally it's not an an easy thing to deal with at all. So the fact that they were able to stay up, um, and I know we're probably going to get onto Carla Ward and, and her being involved now. 
a little bit later on, but you know, they've got obviously got this incredible and, and really highly regarded manager now in place. It'll be really, really interesting to see where they go. So I think that that moment where they secured their status, then you obviously see all the the media coverage and the social media coverage after that was was probably my my standout moment, really. I felt very, very proud. Oh, you must do. I mean, Emily Lyles, everyone, former Aston Villa <laughs> media officer. You know, it's 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 your club. Like I'm sure you have a special bond towards it. I think Gemma Davis obviously did a fantastic job. And they, for me, I kind of agree. They didn't deserve to be relegated. I feel like there are other teams that underperformed a little bit worse off than Villa. So I'll definitely let you have that as your moment for sure. No, thank you. And just a word there on Gemma Davis. I mean, she, for me, I I mean, that was a sad point when she left there, whatever the reasons were around that. um, You know, I, I felt very, very sad about that because I think the job that she did was phenomenal she obviously dealt with some of those changes that I mentioned before as well and and just carried on and was professional as ever and I think a real marker of of how someone is seen and and felt within an organization is the reaction afterwards and you only had to look at every tweet or Instagram post that the players put out about her and their impact her impact on them not just from a coaching point of view but from a, a personal relationship point of view you know how kind she was and how thoughtful she is uh, towards her players so I think look obviously wish her all the best for the future she's she's done a remarkable job there and you know certainly keeping keeping a club in the WSL in your first season and isn't going to be bad for the CV is it absolutely not and she's still so young that's what I I always forget she's I think she's younger than me you know she's is she about 27 28 or something like that I think okay yeah she is younger than me oh just feeling my age right now um but yeah, I kind of agree with you. She's just, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, to sort of say that at 27, 28, you could manage a top WSL side. Well, I say top, but you know, WSL is that top league that you want to perform in and, and you want to, as a coach, I'm sure you want to dream about doing. So I'm sure, I'm sure this isn't the end of Gemma. I'm sure we will see her back again. hundred percent. And your own? moment of the season there were so many good ones you know I I found this one really hard to decide because there were some incredible matches as well like I have to sort of say Man City against Chelsea that 2-2 draw with Catherine Berger making that incredible save to probably win them the title was up there but I have to focus on Birmingham because it was just something like you know have you ever seen Sunderland till I die yeah Yeah. exactly yeah. It, yeah, felt, yeah. it felt like we were watching the new series of that, but Birmingham Till I Die. It was just, so my standout moment was when Ruby Mace, who's only 17 years old, she was on loan from Arsenal, very young, you know, looking for first team experience. Last minute equaliser, ran the far post against West Ham for Birmingham City to get them a draw when they were 2-0 down at half time to, win, to come back and draw that game 2-2 was quite a pivotal point in the season to keep their status alive because they were it was touch and go, wasn't it, for a while between Birmingham, West Ham and um, Bristol and even Villa. You know, you just, you couldn't call it at that point in the season. And it just, the response, considering we've had no fans, it was like they'd won a World Cup. You know, everyone, all the team were cheering. It was just like a magnificent moment. And I feel like the players deserved that and Carla Ward deserved that. So for me, this year, the moment of the season doesn't belong to a top team. It belongs to these teams that fought for their status. So, 
yeah, Ruby Mace's last minute equaliser for me. Yeah, you're so right. I think that just captured everything, didn't it, about that group? I think because a lot that you, obviously not being close to it, it's hard to comment, but the lot that you read and hear is, you know, okay, things didn't go well for the club, both on and off the pitch, but it was a really tight and committed group who Mm. were fighting, who were together. And so, yeah, it's moments like that, that, you know, in the grand scheme of things might not seem huge, but they are. Yeah. I wanted to come up with some sort of sentimental quote that, you know, money doesn't buy moments, but, you know, for everything else, there's Birmingham City. They do. They really do. Okay, last one, Emily. Uh, This is a really tough choice again. What was your goal of the season? Right. So I found this really, really difficult and um, I'm not a particularly decisive person, as you can probably tell. So it took a while and <laughs> it's I'm not sure it's the best choice in that ultimately it didn't impact on Bristol status. But I don't know if you remember Ebony Salmon's goal against Reading in Bristol yes! to win. Fantastic And I know ultimately, as I said, Bristol were unable to retain their status, but I think that was just such a huge moment in their resurgence at the time, moved them off the bottom of the table, which was massive for them. Brilliant balling from the right, incredible finish. And I think especially in the context of the game, what they had to do and where the season was for them. I just remember just being made up for her, made up for them. And, you know, ultimately her incredible form has led to this brilliant move that she's got to the US, hasn't it? So look, that was, I'd say, probably my goal of the season, just with all of that encompassed and brought together. It was in a big stadium as well, wasn't it, that game? It was at Ashton Gate, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was an Ashton yeah, Gate yeah. as well. I think that captured it a lot more as well, to play in a big stadium like that to score it. That was an incredible... That was up in my top five as well, Emily, so don't ever Oh, feel good. I feel better now the expert also uh, had that I one. I am not an expert. It's just, <laughs> it's just your own personal opinion, isn't it? You know, that's what we live for when we're fans of the game and we just, you know, we have an opinion. You might not always agree, but it is what it is. And for my goal of the season, I've probably gone a bit different from the obvious because there were so many good, like, long-range goals, like power, power strikes, um, I loved Caroline Weir's goal for Man City where she um, chipped that goal across um, Mary Ips for Man United and that was that was my second but I've actually gone with a Man United player and I've gone with Lauren James's goal against Chelsea um, it wasn't necessarily like from long range it was just some really nice play of football and the way she just like bobbed and weaved in between you know that back line Chelsea have been solid all season and she made Millie Bright, you know, nearly fall over. She just, it was, she just was unstoppable. And in, in to sort of be able to play that ball around Katrin Berger, to pa- pass it past Aaron Cuthbert, who I think was behind Millie Bright, I'm just imagining it in my head now. It was just something like from a player that you'd think had been playing 100, 200 appearances in this, in this, in this league. And Lauren James is so young and it's just, I think it was a pivotal point where I was thinking, yeah, this girl, she's very special. She's going to make it pretty big wherever she ends up. And, you know, there's some chat about her leaving United, which I'm sure United fans don't want me to keep bringing up if they're listening to this pod. But, you know, you can just tell, wow, that is some quality. So she was my goal of the season for sure. That is a fantastic choice. And I think, again, it's in the context, isn't it, of the game, who they're playing against, the stage of the season. 
uh, yeah, no, that, that was a fantastic strike. But it's hard. It's a hard choice, isn't it? Because I was trying to think as well of what the best team goals were, you know, like with the build up and stuff yeah. like that. But oh, yeah, the that's so a difficult many. one as well. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, we don't have time. We, I mean, we could sit here for hours and our end and keep giving out these awards, but we will say congratulations to all our winners. Um, would love to say that you're all getting a trophy, but unfortunately, we've spent the women's football podcast budget on <laughs> Andrew Rabin's new microphone. So we don't have anything in our budget to set up any awards. Sorry about that, guys. But you should check it out. He sounds quality whenever he comes on, on, on the pod. So let's move on, Emily. In other news this week, which you touched on earlier, Carla Ward um, will be making the short trip to rival Midlands team Aston Villa as she was revealed as their new head coach after resigning from Birmingham City a couple of weeks ago. Local rivals Villa finished a point above Birmingham but parted ways with interim boss Marcus Bignett and coach Gemma Davis, who was in charge before Bignett's arrival. So, Emily... You know, as a former media officer at Villa, I know how much you love them. Are you surprised by this appointment or, or are you ecstatic by it? Oh, it's a difficult one because, as I say, I suppose I was quite, I was gutted for Gemma, I have to say, just in terms of the way that that, that worked out and ended. But I think any fan or anyone affiliated with the club has to be excited by that. I mean, as you explained very very well Carla Ward did a remarkable job in difficult circumstances her reputation prior to being at Birmingham was was pretty high pretty high stock anyway and I think yeah there's just so much potential there isn't there and I think you know her ability to attract players um, will be important as well because she's obviously very well liked very well thought of Um, I guess she's got some really strong connections in the championship as well as in the WSL. So you'd have to think there might be some movement there. So yeah, look, it's exciting, isn't it? And and I'm also very pleased for her because it's obviously been hard, a really hard season for her, her staff and her players, anyone associated with Birmingham. So it's good that I think her success and I, and I, I mean that relatively to, to what she was working with is being recognized. Mm, but here was the thing that stood out for me, Emily. So we talked about it on the pod last week about Enya Luko maybe going to Angel FC. That's now being confirmed that she's going. Seven players are leaving Villa. So for me, I just feel, you know, is this a right step for Carla, considering she's had so many problems coming into Birmingham with, you know, a lack of squad players, a lack of backing but do you feel Villa will back her? Do you think she will get that opportunity to bring in the players that she wants and work on a better budget than she did at Birmingham? I would like to think so. And I think if you look at, say, how Villa recruited ahead of the season, I understand it's not at the levels of other clubs, but they still have got, or, or they certainly brought in some really, really solid players. Um, and as you say, some have moved on, some are still there as things stand. So, I would like to think so, Liv. I'd like to think that, you know, she would get the necessary backing. I'm not for one minute saying all of a sudden Villa are going to become a top three, top four club in that league because that's that would be very, very difficult. But I think I think she'll get a consistency there that perhaps she didn't have before, which, you know, that that's that's good for her and will hopefully enable her to do to do the job that she needs to do. Absolutely. And we wish her all the luck in the world going to Villa. Very risque because, you know, in any other proven league, if you go to a rival team, you'd be booed out of here. 
it's funny, you know, because that rivalry, um, obviously having grown up in the area and been around it a lot, is horrific, as you know. <laughs> really don't like each other. And you only have to ask people like Alex McLeish what it's like to go from one to the other, certainly in the men's game. But in the women's game, like with so many of these things, because both of those clubs have been quite established for a while. So obviously Birmingham for a long, long time. Villa were in what was WSL2 and then the championship for a number of years. There was always a lot of movement. So it, even though a few people make remarks, you know what the women's game is like? It is slightly different, but... Yeah, we're nicer that, here. That said, it is growing and you're looking at games at the big stadiums. Hopefully fans being able to come back from next season, more people interested. Maybe that you could see a bit of a shift there and that rivalry might might cross over a little bit more but yeah so far from my experience it's always been okay well okay compared to how it is on the men's side but it'll be interesting because obviously we've seen a lot of derbies haven't we played in front of big crowds um the north london derby the manchester derby and i wasn't at any of those games but i the atmosphere i think was a little bit more lively shall we say than it would be normally all right, well, start using your connections at Villa and, and get Carla Ward some earplugs so she can have those for Derby Day so she doesn't have to listen to the crowds. So, now, let's, let's, let's wait and see for that appointment. And speaking of more appointments, um, so Hegarisa, we think, is going to announce Team GB for the Olympics this summer. Who has done enough for you or who can you see just missing out, Emily? Quite vague, I know there's a lot of players to cover. It's not just England, is it? It's Team GB. Yeah, I think it, it's really, really difficult. And I was talking to someone about this over the weekend, actually. Like, you, I honestly think it's a really hard squ- squad to call. I mean, I think you'd have your core as, you, you know, your, your, your Stephs, your Millies, those kind of players in there. But then I think the one, the kind of players that, that I'm a little bit worried for are the likes of Beth Mead, because we've seen what's happened at previous England camps not being selected. Whereas I think... She would perhaps prior to Hegarisa coming in, she might have been maybe a shoe in's a bit strong, but obviously Phil Neville was very fond of her and having her in and around the group. But I think the big issue is you're so restricted on numbers, aren't you? In terms of how many players you can take. Um, in terms of those that are missing out, I think it's a really good it's help, it. Emily. So I was looking at the British media and newspapers and I'm ashamed to say, I won't name and shame the paper, but here's who they think is going to miss out. They think it's going to be uh, Blues playmaker Aaron Cuthbert, Man United duo Ella Toon, Millie Turner. Do you sort of, do you agree with that? Or do you feel like that's quite hard done by if they, if they don't get into the squad, surely? I think it is, but I guess... I guess it's do you almost go for the tr- the real tried and tested at the international level as well? That's the other thing that form comes into it, I think. But it makes you wonder whether they think, well, actually, we do need players here that have regularly played at big tournaments. Um, so obviously, a couple of the names you mentioned there probably haven't. But then if you're going on form throughout the season, you'd like to think those, those three will be selected, wouldn't you? It's really, this is, I mean, I don't envy them at all, do you? Oh, absolutely not. I, I I, just wouldn't want to be in the room. I mean, you know, sort of making those decisions. I, I know that Hannah Hampton obviously was told a while ago, wasn't she? Which would have yeah. been one of my negatives of the seasons to be told that. Well, we won't go on to that. So we know she's probably not going to be, she's not been selected. Um, you wonder whether Karen Barty, like you say, you would want sort of 
that experience behind Ellie Roebuck? Hundred percent. And to be fair, a couple of a couple of the um, women's journalists that I know well and follow, they you know they seem convinced it could be Roebuck and Sandy McIver. You know, almost like two quite young goalkeepers. I mean, I think with someone like Ellie Roebuck, her she almost defies her age, doesn't she? Because she was selected and played for City week in week out um, when Karen Barsley was injured, but then also when Karen Barsley came back when she was still very, very young. She's obviously been in and around England for a while. But I don't know, it's it's really tricky because, I mean, Car- like you say, Karen Barsley experience that no mm. one else really, you could argue, in that squad has in terms of the big games, the big tournaments, being away for that period of time, being in that environment. But then again, you've if you, if it were, say, those two young goalkeepers or reasonably young goalkeepers, you probably would back, back them to do a job, wouldn't you? So it's really difficult. Who would be your goalkeepers? Oh, I would think Ellie Roebuck would be number one. And, and I would take a chance on Sandy McKeever, to be honest. I feel like Karen Barsley had a bit of a nightmare in the last friendly. I can't remember who they played now. Was it Canada? I think she spilt the goal. Yeah, she spilt the ball into her own net. So we talk about experience, but sometimes it's almost like going in, you know, if you're a young player going into the unknown, you've got nothing to lose. And I think they will have, they will feel less pressure because it'll be, you know, for Sandy, for instance, the first major tournament, she's only made what one one or two appearances for the Lionesses. So you got yeah, if you're young, you just you're just braver. And and that's what I think it comes down to. But we'll keep an eye on it. But Emily, once the squad is selected, how far do you think Team GB will go in the Olympics? Put you on the spot now, haven't I? I think it's a really, I think it's it's a really tough call because it's been such a disrupted year. Obviously, we're or I'm probably assuming with this comment that that it will be primarily England, but I think with the general consensus it will be primarily England players with it, potentially with a few from the other home nations. Obviously, England's form is pretty indifferent. Um, mm-hmm. recently um, I'd like to think they could meddle but, but where they meddle is a, is another question uh, well hopefully we'll what take a break from that. well I mean I'd probably agree I think maybe somewhere around third or second but I'm hoping Emily we can both have some time off so we can actually tune in and watch it so let's let's keep an eye on it anyway that is it for this week thanks emily for joining me as ever don't forget to follow on social media on twitter we are at twfp1 on instagram and youtube you will find exclusive content so follow and subscribe at the women's football podcast really enjoyed that one emily thanks so much everyone 